coming up on this week's podcast. And unfortunately, we throw around words like boss and things like that when I don't think they apply to the church. Yes, is there supposed to be leadership? Sure. But is there supposed to be a hierarchy? I'm not sure about that. It's kind of the idea of submission that Julie was talking about a couple of weeks ago between a husband and a wife. That it, Remember, it was the curse that when God said, and the husband will rule over you. But that's not supposed to be how it is. Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Justin Hibbard with today's message. You know, as I'm like feeling all this congestion and everything, Don uh, shared with me a funny joke that I thought I'd share with you this morning. Um, there was a guy, he, he woke up Sunday morning, he didn't, he didn't feel like going to church, and so he just kind of rolled over in bed and said, God, I don't think I'm going to go this morning. And the Lord's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't feel good. Nobody likes me. It seems like everything I'm doing isn't working. You know, no, nobody wants me there anyways. Nobody's going to miss me. Lord said, you have to go. He said, why? Lord said, because you're the pastor. You have to be there. <laughs> I guess even pastors have their moments on Sunday morning. Well, this morning, we are going to finish this Living Hope series, which has been such an encouragement to me, and I think has been really um, apropos for the season that uh, our family has been going through, actually our church family, I think the Holy Spirit was really speaking to Julie as she prepared um, these messages and, and outlined them. I mean, I, I can't think of a, another explanation. It's just too much of a coincidence to think it was an accident. And uh, so we're going to conclude with 1 Peter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. I'm just going to go to verse by verse, and we'll, and we'll look at each one and kind of break them down and talk about each one individually. But Peter is going, Peter is finishing his letter by just general instructions to the church. And to put this in context, because we've been talking about a lot of the context of First Peter, you know, this was a time in the first century where there wasn't a church on every corner. There, you know, we have such a, a luxury of a smorgasbord out there that we can go to any church that sort of fits our needs, and we could probably find one that we like and that has the music that we like and has the pastor that we like and has the type of programs that we like, and they're, you know, they're all over the place. And, but for the, for the first century church, they didn't have that luxury. I don't know if it was a luxury. Maybe that was a good thing that they didn't have those things because it forced them to really work things out and work things uh, with each other. And so Peter, Peter's instructions is so crucial to a church that's not only going, that only, that's only one of them per city, but one of them per sometimes region. And, and in some cases, 
they are facing intense persecution by the local authorities. And so, and so this is what Peter's final word is, and it's just a, a wonderful word that we'll look at. He, he begins by talking... So he begins by talking to the elders. So he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I love this passage. And first of all, let's take a look at who he's talking to. He's talking to the elders. And the elders, the word for elders is the word presbyteros, which is where the Presbyterian church gets their name. It is a a system, if you know anything about the government of the Presbyterian church, it's a government of elders. You have the local elders of each church, but then they have the presbytery, which is formed of other elders, overseeing the whole uh, conference of churches. The word presbyteros is not new to the Christian church. It was the word that was used to talk about the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. And um, it can mean a couple of things. And in this case, it probably means the appointed leaders of the church. But it also can mean those elders who are older, right? So, and I think in both cases it works here, and we can see wisdom in both of those. So Peter is saying, as an elder of the church, as a leader of the church... He's saying, I appeal to you fellow elders as a witness of Christ's suffering. So someone who experienced, who was there to watch what Jesus went through. He's going to talk about sufferings. He talked about sufferings in the previous chapters. But also he will experience his own sufferings. And it will culminate in his, in his own death. And so he is, he is speaking as someone who we can trust as an authoritative source um, in, in the church, an elder and a leader and someone who will stand with the church in its suffering. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Now, whenever I think of the word shepherd, I have a new profound respect for the word shepherd. When we were in Morocco a few years ago, staying with some missionary friends, we stayed up in kind of the hill country, um, a very beautiful area, and there were mountains of cypress trees everywhere, and the house was kind of located halfway up one of those mountains. And um, there was an, a pass that the shepherds would take to go over the mountain. So every couple of days there we would see a shepherd with his, his flock of sheep. And I didn't know these things still existed. You know, I'm so used to farms or sheep farms or things like that. But these are shepherds wandering with their flocks. And, and you watch them. They're just their attentions all on their sheep. And they're bringing them over this mountain pass. And it's just a wonderful thing to watch. Or you're driving down the countryside, and there they are sitting next to the highway with their sheep. And, um, and it's so interesting to watch. But it gives you an, a perspective of the, the shepherding. And the Greek here literally means basically feed the sheep. Which is interesting because you'll recall that Jesus told Peter to feed the sheep. Remember? He said, he said do you love me, Peter? Three times he said, feed my sheep. And this is now the same instruction that Jesus gave Peter. He is now giving the same command to the rest of the elders, sort of passing the baton. Feed God's flock. What's interesting is that he's talking to the elders. And and maybe your translation has the word overseers. You may even have the word ruler for elders. You may even have the word pastor. 
This is where we get the word pastor from. For those of you who, are, who know Spanish, know that the same word for, for um, shepherd and pastor, it's, it's the same thing. The idea is that, that pastors are shepherds. And here he's saying elders are shepherds, are supposed to be shepherding the flock. You know, I think for better or for worse, I, you know, we have this kind of system that we do in our churches where um, the elders serve on a board, and oftentimes what happens, in not all cases, some churches are, are different, but they hire a pastor. But what Peter is saying, and I think, and there's good things about that, but I think one of the things that often gets missed out on is what Peter is saying here, that the elders are also supposed to be shepherding, shepherding the flock. Now, I think we can shepherd the flock in all sorts of different ways. I think uh, making important decisions where we cross our T's and dot our I's and we take care of uh, being good stewards of the church itself and the organization, those are always important things to do. But nothing replaces giving someone your time and your attention. And so when, when Peter is saying, uh, be, be a shepherd, I think he's really saying, put your attention on the sheep. Love the sheep. Feed the sheep. You can feed them in lots of different ways, but like I said, I just think there's something so important about giving uh, each other our time and our attention in doing that. And so, in some cases, I think we, we lose sight of that importance of elders being really involved in, in congregations. And I've been, I've been in a number of churches where that's the case, where the elders just kind of do their own thing and sort of rely on the pastor to be the one sh- shepherding. But it really needs to be a team effort. It needs to be a group effort of shepherds, of elders shepherding God's flock. And that's another thing, that the word is God's flock. You know, sometimes we get caught up thinking it's my church or it's his church or it's your church or whatever. No, this is God's church. This is God's flock. I love what Steve said this morning, that the flock was bought with the precious blood of God. There is nothing more, you can't say anything more significant than that. That this was, each individual was bought by Jesus' own precious blood. And that, wow, it just brings a weight of responsibility when you think of, this is not my sheep. This is God's sheep that he has asked me to take care of, that he has asked me to feed and take care of. Almost like the, the, the parable of the talents. See, I said I, I didn't trust this technology. <laughs> There we go. So, and he says, don't do it because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. In a first century church where there probably wasn't a lot of, there, were, there weren't constitutions and bylaws and there wasn't a layout of things of how things were going to work. And a lot of times there was just a need. We see that in, in early in the book of Acts. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> when the elders get together and they say, we have a need. We need some help. And that's how the deacons came about, is because there was a need to be, to be filled. A lot of times we, we throw around a, a, mis, a mystical word called God's calling, the call of God. And, and, we, and it's funny, you know, I have a friend, a really good friend of mine, who was in college, and he was writing a paper, and as he was writing his paper, he dozed off and fell asleep. He woke up, and there across the screen were these words, feed my sheep. I thought, oh, that's pretty, I mean, that can't be a, a prank, because if it was me pranking him, it would have been like, buy Justin dinner for the rest of the semester, 
or give Justin your car keys or something like that. I mean, how profound. That is amazing. That is a miracle. And if only God spoke to me that way, you know, just right across the screen, feed my sheep, like a real clear calling of what I'm supposed to do. But what happens, a lot of times what happens is that um, we don't know God's calling until we try God's calling. And a lot of times it happens when there's a need. When a need arises and we step into that need because we see a need that needs to be fulfilled. And then suddenly we realize, wait, this is how God has wired me all along. And, and unfortunately, I think we, we put the calling of God only on certain people, like people that are going to be pastors, when really the call of God applies to every single one of us. When, um, I've, I mentioned this before, but when someone says to me, when they say, Justin, when did you receive the call to ministry? I said, the same time you did, the moment we believed, that's when we were called to ministry. Whether it's teaching, whether it's pastoring, whether it's shepherding, whether it's healing, whether it's prophecy, no matter what it is, there is a call, and all those calls are equally important, though they may be significantly different. And so Peter's, Peter says, hey, don't do this because you must. Don't have an attitude of, uh, well, I've got to do it because nobody else is going to do it. But have an attitude of, even if that's the case, an attitude, wow, I really get to do this. What an awesome privilege it is to be uh, a shepherd of God's flock. And it really is. When you think about um, the story of the, of the talents, the parable of the talents, when he gives those talents, when he entrusts with those talents, what a wonderful gift of trust that is that God would give to us. And so here we see, don't do it because you must, but because you're willing to do it. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to so- serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I think, um, I think sometimes we, we miss this balance that, uh, of what Peter is talking about here. He's, he's trying to talk, do, the, do it this way, don't do it this way. A very uh, strong tension. I think too often this becomes our church model, where we have one person up on the pedestal, one person in the center, receiving all the highlight. And I'm not sure that's what Peter is talking about. I think when we look at, 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 at elders and things like that, it's very easy to fall into the mentality of hierarchy. But I don't think hierarchy is what Peter has in mind here. And let me share with you why. You see, I wonder sometimes if our, if our church government, so to speak, look, should look a little more like this rather than one person on a pedestal. I, it was interesting. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was interested in a secretary position at a church. And not, not this church. And she said, um, so I asked her about it. I said, so what does that mean? Does it mean you're going to have to start attending there, become a member there? She's like, actually the opposite. I said, oh, really? She said, well, the pastor, I guess, had some problems with the administrative assistant before. And uh, he, he said he had, he had a hard time being someone's pastor and boss at the same time. And so he wants me to have nothing to do with the church other than to be the administrative assistant. And I said, you know, I I can understand that sentiment. But I I said, I have a very different philosophy about ministry. That if I'm in his position, I see everyone as equal to ministry. So here's someone that while they may be an administrative assistant, it doesn't mean that they're not in ministry. They're there to serve the body of Christ. And unfortunately, we throw around words like boss and things like that 
when I don't think they apply to the church. Yes, is there supposed to be leadership? Sure. But is there supposed to be a hierarchy? I'm not sure about that. It's kind of the idea of submission that Julie was talking about a couple of weeks ago between a husband and a wife. That it, Remember, it was the curse that when God said, and the husband will rule over you. But that's not supposed to be how it is. We aren't supposed to rule with an iron fist, but rather we're supposed to love and pastor. I'll never forget I, when I was a pastor of a previous church, and we had, I guess, the conference, the pastor of the conference, so to speak. And I accidentally and foolishly and in my youth referred to him as my boss. And he said to me, he said, Justin, I'm not your boss. I am your pastor. And I thought, what a gracious statement that was. But it really put in perspective that here my mentality was, he was my boss, but no, he was my pastor. He was there to help me through the decisions and to work with me and mentor me and to love me. And in the same sense, I think that's the responsibility of the leadership of the church, to mentor and to love and to work together and to be together arm in arm and be examples to each other. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Obama is not the chief shepherd. I understand that. But I'm struck by this picture because, as you know, this gentleman received the Medal of Honor. And, I mean, what an honor to receive that. But I got to think what's going in his mind as he's receiving this is he's thinking about all of the other soldiers. You know, I can't imagine he's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. You know, here's a bunch of other soldiers putting their lives on the line men and women that he has seen killed in combat. I'm sure this weighs heavily on his neck. And realizing that he is being recognized for something, whereas people do it all the time. And I'm sure if you asked him, did you do it so that you would receive a medal of honor? He would say, no, I did it to save my, uh, my brothers and sisters' lives. And so that's to us. We understand that there will be a reward for us. But Revelation is so significant when it says, and we will lay our crowns back at Jesus' feet. Because we're going we're gonna to realize we're not in this for the crowns. We're not in this for the jewels. We're not in this. And we see what Jesus has done. And those crowns are going to seem very insignificant compared to what the Lord has done for us. And then I think at that moment as well, we will realize all of the time and all of the energy and effort we've put into ministering to the body of Christ, how, how it was totally worth it. It was totally worth it to give everything we had to each other. So I, I'm always struck by that picture because it's when the chief shepherd comes, when, when the man who comes back to receive his talents, what will he say? And hopefully he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and join in your master's happiness. Well, now Peter, Peter um, transitions from talking about the elders to talking about the younger in the church. And he says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your, your elders. Again, the idea of submission is this idea of a mutual obedience, a mutual respect. And I, you know, I, I admit that when I was uh, even like maybe eight years ago, I didn't always take criticism very well. Take it more personally, and you're like, what did, what do they have a problem with me for? You know, things like that. When really, what people were doing was mentoring me and talking to me and helping me become a better person. We need that. 
So, in the same way, we have so much to learn from those who have more experience than us or are in a leadership position or who are older or, or wiser or whatever it may be, that we need to have this submission. And unfortunately, I think in a lot of churches, the hardest relationship, the hardest cultural divide tends to be between the younger and the older folk. And I've, I've, seen, it, I've seen it all, I think. I've heard it all from the type of music to the style, to this, to that, to this and that. Older people don't understand younger people. Younger people don't understand older people. But there needs to be a level of humility. And that's what Peter is getting at. He says, submit yourselves to the elder, because we can always learn from our elders. And he says, and all of you, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As I was looking for, looking at humility, I came across this picture of Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and they just won their NBA title. And if you know Mark Cuban, you're not surprised by this quote. When I die, I want to come back as me. <laughs> When I see that man, I think, wow, talk about a, a man that lacks humility. He's probably the antithesis of humility, but, uh, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> But I'm also reminded of this quote, probably my favorite quote about humility. Humility does not m- mean you think of yourself le- or think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. Humility does not mean that you think less of yourself. It's not a, oh, I'm no good, I'm not good at that. We've talked about that in the past. It means you think of yourself less. And for me, that's so important because I realize what I can gain from my brothers and my sisters. Even though we may not agree on everything, there is so much to learn and to glean. And so being clothed in humility is essential, sorry, is essential for the church. Because if we're not clothed in humility then we tend to be iron-fisted. We tend to be abrasive. And instead of being loving and caring and generous and appreciative of everyone and seeing everyone as extremely significant in the body of Christ. But we're given a warning as well. Peter says, be alert. Be alert because your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. What a a terrible image that is. I don't know if you guys watch, I watch a lot of like Discovery Channel, Smithsonian Channel um, stuff, and they always have like those Serengeti Africa planes, and I love watching those, and they're like the predators, like the lions and things like that. But you watch them, they're, they're, they're fierce. And they, and they zone in on this lion, and the lion sits there, and he sits there and watches a, a flock of gazelles go by, and he's just patient, and patient, and patient, and it scans for the weakest link. It, scares for, it scans for that young one. It scans for the one that may have been injured in another, uh, another incident. And it just has no qualms about going... You would think, like, okay, I'm a lion. I'm going after the fastest gazelle. No, it goes after the weakest one. And it attacks them 
at the opportune time and ignores all the other gazelles and just pursues that gazelle until it has it. I mean, that's a, that's a terrible image of the devil. But that's what he does. He lurks around looking for the opportune moment to attack us. And so Peter says, be alert, be aware. Understand that you are in a spiritual warfare. Isn't that what Ephesians uh, 6 tells us? That Paul says, you are in a war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers, not of this world. And so we always have to be mindful that there is a devil lurking around, looking and waiting to pounce at the opportune time. But we have to resist him. It says, resist him standing firm in the faith. And one thing that helps me to stand firm in the faith is knowing that I'm not, not alone. Because there are other people, he says, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're all going through sufferings. And that's how, that's how Peter is going to end this chapter, talking about these sufferings that we go through. He says this. He says, In the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. For uh, this past couple of months has just been um, trial after trial. I, I feel... Heavy. We had a, a, a discussion this morning, as Steve mentioned uh, last week, that um, a couple of the elders have decided to, to leave with their families. And, and that weighs on me. It's weighed on me throughout the month of June. It weighs on all of us. I think we feel, um, we feel like a part of us is missing. And we've reached out to them and said, you know, come on back. Let's talk about this. Let's work this out. It doesn't have to be, the, be this way. And that weighs on me. And I've lost many, uh, I've had many sleepless nights. And then on top of that, we had this whole moving situation happen. And, oh man, it was stressful. As Gary and Kateri will tell you, there were nights I just didn't sleep. It was wondering if a loan was going through or not going through. We had our house in boxes, not knowing if it was going to happen or not. And then it gets pushed back. And all of that just seemed to get eclipsed when we found out that we lost our baby. And... um, it was probably the most devastating news that we've ever gotten. And I know that many of you have gone through it yourselves. And, and my heart goes out to you. That is the hardest thing. Whether it's at four weeks or I realized we had to deliver the baby and we got to hold her and she was 14 weeks. Or whether it's 35 or 40 weeks long, it's a life. And it gets sucked and ripped out of you and you realize how much of a hole it leaves. And it's devastating. It really is. And so throughout this, one night I woke up and I, I just, I was in a panic attack and my heart was beating out of my chest and I just could not sleep to save my life. And, and all I wanted to do was just close my eyes. I was so tired. And I just said, Lord, I know, I know that you're doing this to refine me, to make me more like you. But I said, I can't take much more of it. It hurts. It's hard. But you know what? All of us have been through sufferings of one kind or another. We've all been in places. There are people that are looking for jobs. There are people that have um, sick family members. There are people that are uh, hurting physically. It doesn't matter. We don't, have to, we don't have to lose a child to experience that suffering. Those sufferings are intense no matter what it is that we're dealing with, the weight that we, that we feel. And I just want to 
just thank you guys because you all have been such a joy and a blessing to us. I, I don't know how people without churches go through what they go through because we, are all, we all experience those times of suffering and heartache. And I think what, what this last couple of months has really brought into perspective of me, for me, is that the church is not just a social club where we get together and ha- hang out and do a Sunday morning program and sing some songs and have Sunday school and learn about the Lord. It is about men and women and children committed to becoming like Jesus. And that is, the, that is not an easy process. Sometimes it has a lot of refining and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering that the Lord allows us to go through. But you all were there. And you, and you lifted my arms and you lifted my legs and you brought food for us and you brought, um, and, and people showed up and said, I, you know, they, they, they said, I'm going to show up at your door with a meal, whether you like it or not. Show me how I can help. And then an army came out to help us move. I think the government would, would establish that as a militia and uh, maybe even give us the right to bear arms. I don't know. But we were, but their people were, were moving for us and, and I was so sick and, and yet, I had just so little energy, and you all were, were just a joy and a blessing. So I understand that our hearts are heavy right now. We have a lot of questions and concerns. And I'll tell you what, I think if, if last two weeks were any indication for me, I've just never been more proud to be a part of this church and for what this church has done and has blessed us in so much. And so, you know, on behalf of our family, we are just so thankful. And, and what this, you know... I, I know that we are going through this verse personally, that when we have suffered, after we've suffered for a little while, that God himself will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. But I think it's for all of us. It is a promise for all of us because it is, it is the Lord's work. It is the Lord's flock, and, uh, and he loves us, and he's wrapped his arms around us. And so in times where, you know, in times where we've wondered, where is the Lord? he's been working through you all and it's just been so clear and evident. And I think, you know, I just want to encourage you all and encourage myself that we have that opportunity every day. When, when we see people that are suffering from whatever it is that they're suffering, we can, we can be people to help ease that burden. I know it's frustrating to think that we want to help out. And I know many of you wanted to help out in ways and there was just really nothing that could be done or people were taking care of everything. And, but um, you all being there and praying for us and, and, and loving us in that way and encouraging us with just little notes just meant the world to us. So be encouraged. And I just want to pray this, this final uh, passage, if the worship team will come up, just as, as we close with these words. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen to that. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. 
If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. New Hope Chapel.